Well, good morning, church. Here we are. A journey that began on Sunday, April the 24th. That has included a total of 30 sermons, a little over 110,000 words spoken by six different preachers spanning approximately 1,050 minutes. Today we are concluding our series in Deuteronomy. We hope uh, that over this, these periods of week, that as we've walked through this foundational book of the Old Testament, that you've been challenged and that you've been encouraged, all while seeing glimpses of the gospel sprinkled throughout. So this morning, we land the plane by looking at the final chapter in Deuteronomy, chapter 34. Chapter 34 of Deuteronomy is all about Moses finishing his life and, and finishing it well. I think that there is something in, in all of our hearts that wants to finish well, whether that's a project, whether that is something at work, or whether it is our lives. We want to finish well. And as we will see in just a few minutes, Deuteronomy 34 what a lot of theologians even say is that Deuteronomy 34 serves uh, kind of like a, a tombstone of sorts for Moses. You know, tombstones are kind of funny things, aren't they? They're kind of strange, if you ever thought about it. Like, have you ever thought about what you want to be on your tombstone? You know, some people uh, prefer serious messages, some people prefer no messages. Some people you know, prefer a more humorous approach. For instance, the tombstone of Winston Churchill reads this, I'm ready to meet my maker. Whether my maker is prepared for the great ordeal of meeting me is another matter. The, the great auctioneer, Jedediah Goodwin, has the following words on his tombstone, going, going, gone. Another one I read said, see, I told you I was sick. Um, I, I saw this one online. It says, please deactivate my Facebook. Um, fairly certain that was not true, but also. You can learn a lot from tombstones, though. You know, several years ago, we took a trip to uh, visit my grandfather, uh, who was living in Kentucky at the time. And he took us through all of the family property, where he, where he went to school, where he went to church, he was taking us through the, he wanted to walk us through the family cemetery uh, that we apparently have in Kentucky. And so my oldest son, Hollis, and I, we were off on one side of it, and we stumbled upon a tombstone with the name Hollis Cothran. Cothran is my grandfather's last name. Turns out that Hollis was the name of like my third great cousin from my grandfather's side or, or, or something kind of like that. And my granddad was just so excited to show us this family member that we named Hollis after. And we just didn't have the heart to tell him that we found Hollis's name in a baby name book. We just, <laughs> we're like, yes, we love our family. Um, 
Now, before you think that we're gonna spend this entire morning focusing on death, let, let me assure you that that's not where we're heading because you see, what Moses' life would show us is that if we wait until the end of our lives to start trying to end well, then we have missed the mark. You know, the one thing that every tombstone has in common is that there is a dash between the time someone is born and the time someone passes away. I've heard the following quote before, that there'll be two dates on your, home, your, on your tombstone and all your friends will read them. But all that's gonna matter is that little dash. All that's gonna matter is that little dash. We end well when we take care of our dashes so that we can say, as Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 4, that I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I've remained faithful, and now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness. So, assuming that we would all agree that we indeed want to finish well, then let's look at the question of what can we put into our lives today that will prepare us to cross the finish line well when that time comes. And what I want us to look at is through Deuteronomy 34, we will see some life lessons that Moses uh, gives to us as his earthly journey ends that will set us up for great success. Well, what are those lessons? Let's read chapter 34, and we'll look at these truths together this morning. Deuteronomy 34. It says, Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the, the Negev and the plain, that is the valley of Jericho, the city palm trees as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, this is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob, and I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord. And God buried him in the valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Pray with me. Lord, I thank you for this morning, and I pray as we just, um, just look into your word and apply it to our lives this morning that you will um, sharpen us and challenge us, Lord, uh, so that our lives here um, are as honoring to you as possible. So teach us now, Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. 
All right, some life lessons that we can learn from Deuteronomy 34 as Moses is in, in, ending uh, his earthly journey. Life lesson number one is that our actions have consequences. Our actions have consequences. We see this in verse four, that Moses was only allowed to see the promised land, but not actually enter into the land. Well, why is that? Well, this is pointing us back to Numbers uh, chapter 20, where we find the Israelites complaining again. And they're complaining this time about there being no water. So Numbers 20 tells us that the Israelites were so angry at Moses and Aaron that they rebelled against the two and began saying things such as, like, such as this. If you would have just left us in Egypt, we'd have been better off. In other words, they had lost faith. They had lost faith in their leaders. They had lost faith, most importantly, in God. And so Moses and Aaron depart from the people and, and head to the tabernacle to once again plead to God on behalf of the Israelites. And once again, God answers. And he says this in Numbers 20. He says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron and your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. Simple enough, right? God tells Moses to assemble the people together, to speak to the rock. Water will pour out of it. Verse 10 and 11, then Moses and Aaron gathered assembly together before, before the rock and he said to them, here now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And so Moses lifted up his hand and he struck the rock with his staff twice and water came out abundantly and the congregation drank and their livestock. Now don't miss what just happened in that moment. God told Moses to speak to the rock, not touch the rock. And immediately, because of that disobedience, a consequence was handed down that directly impacts the end of Moses' life that we are talking through today. And we see that consequence in verse 12. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I am giving them. So you take that information, you fast forward to Deuteronomy 34, and we see this consequence delivered. Moses is only allowed to see the land from on top of Mount Nebo. Our actions have consequences. Now, admittedly, through the years, I've looked at this story numerous times. And I've oftentimes left reading this story thinking to myself, well, that punishment seems a little harsh, right? I mean, one slip up and Moses loses the promised land. Even after, and especially after, how difficult the people had been through this journey. It seems a little harsh. But then, I took some time to look deeper into what's happening in Numbers 20. And you see, there's several reasons why this punishment was so severe. First, we see that Moses allowed his anger and his frustration to take charge. He, he watched God continuously provide with every problem. And the Israelites seemed to abandon all memory of God's goodness. Now, while frustration here wasn't necessarily the sin, it certainly set the stage for critical errors that led to why Moses did not enter the promised land. 
And what's our takeaway from that? Well, our takeaway is that here's like, sometimes like when we let frustration get the best of us, we lose focus. When we get angry and it starts to control us, we lose focus. And in the midst of being in our fleshly feelings, we tend to either forget or abandon God's instructions. Listen, a frustrated leader almost always struggles to effectively guide those who follow them all the time. And make no mistake, God has given you a platform. Every person in this room, God has given you a platform. And if you grow frustrated and you use that platform to display your anger and your frustration, that there will always be trickle-down effects on those who are following you. Always. I have, I have been fired twice in my life from jobs. I'm gonna tell you about both times this morning. I'm just gonna get them out of the way, okay? The first one I'm gonna share with you right now. I was, used to sell cell phones when I was like 19, 20 years old. I used to sell cell phones. And we had this ridiculously high quota that we had to hit every month. Every sales rep in the store had this. And then consequently, the store had a really high quota. And it was, it was basically impossible for the entire store to hit their quota. And so as a result, it was, it, it, it was this very tense working environment where you, you were never doing enough. And there was always this, like, if you don't do just a little bit more, then we're gonna get rid of you, right? And, and it, was, it was set up, I think, personally, by design there as, as a sharpening tool. But as a result, it just was very tense, and so some sales reps that worked in the, the office with me and, and, and the supervisor, they figured out a way to bolster sales that from the company's standpoint was not the correct way to gain new customers. Nonetheless, all of the sales reps in the store started pursuing this and they started generating sales and the entire store hit their quota. Well, this obviously raised a bunch of red flags. So the company started looking at the way that everybody in there was conducting their sales and they decided that since this was not you know, their way of, of doing it, they essentially came in and fired everyone in the entire store. They just, they just cleaned house except for the manager who, when confronted, act, acted like they knew nothing about the situation at all. Now, hear me clearly, myself and every other sales rep in that store, we were all responsible for our actions, but we also felt like we were following instructions. Now, now why, why do I tell you that? Because frustrated leaders produce frustrated followers. And so use your platform well. But another thing that we learned that the, from that is that Moses didn't listen to God. He didn't listen to God at all. God instructed Moses in Numbers to speak to the rock, to draw the water. Instead, Moses takes his staff and he strikes the rock twice and water flows out. Now, the community probably felt like the mission was accomplished, but that was a big mistake. You ever felt like the Lord was asking you to do something that didn't make sense to other people? 
And so you start doing the thing and people start questioning it. And so what do we do? We like to put our own spin on it, right? Like we like to take what God said and then we like to put our own conditions on it as a means of protection, right? I'm gonna do this, but just in case it doesn't work out, I'm gonna hedge my bed over here so I don't fall completely on my face. And, and that's what's happening here. Moses is taking it upon himself to add something to what God had requested. That's a trust issue. Like if you feel like God needs your input, if you feel like God needs your plans, needs your adjustments to accomplish something, then you don't trust him enough. But you see, another area where Moses dropped the ball was that he didn't give God credit. You notice the words in verse 10 where he says, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? We. Like since when did Moses develop the ability to create water and command it to come out of a rock? Spoiler alert, humans don't have that, cap that capacity. Like we cannot create water and make it flow from rocks. Only God can do this. And by not giving God the glory in the moment, Moses and Aaron sealed their fate. And listen, this is not because God needs our accolades. But understand, when we don't properly acknowledge God's role in our lives, then we are doomed to believe that we achieve our greatest accomplishments accomplishments by our own power. And it's this lack of humility that will make us fall short. You see, your ability will only take you so far because what God has in store for your life is going to require his divine intervention so that he will get more and more glory. But there's one final reason that this punishment was what it was, and here it is, and I'm gonna blow you away with this, right? This is, the most, this is the deepest thing you've heard all week long. It's because God did it. He handed it down. And how about this? God can do whatever he wants. And if we think, listen, if we think that we have a right to dictate anything that God says or anything that God does, then friends, we are the issue, not him. Hollis and, and, and Merrick and I, we're, we are reading through the New Testament together right now on our way to school every morning. And a few weeks ago, we read the story of the parable of the vineyard workers found in Matthew 20. And in this parable, Jesus is sharing a story of a foreman who, who hires someone uh, at 9 a.m. in the morning to work for the entire day and agrees to a day's wage. And then he hires someone at noon to work, the, uh, to work for the rest of the day and agrees to the same day's wage. And then it talks about him hiring someone at 5 p.m. and paying them the same full day's wage. And when the workers see this, they become angry saying that this foreman has been unfair. The foreman replied this, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Now take your money and go. I wanted to pay the last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I'm kind to others? Now the parallel here is very clear. Everything is the Lord's. And how he chooses to hand things down and how he chooses to work things together is completely up to him. We, our job is to trust in his sovereignty and to trust that he knows best. 
You remember what Isaiah said in Isaiah 55, that my thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything that you can imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Our actions have consequences and we don't get to determine what those consequences are. Our responsibility is the action itself. Now, having said all of that, there's another life lesson that we can learn from Moses here, and it's this. Yes, indeed, our actions have consequences, but just as important as this, our past does not dictate our future. God was very clear with Moses in Numbers 20 that the consequence for his sin was direct and was told to him in the moment. He didn't have to wait for the verdict to drop. Now, it's interesting because we see God's punishment but we don't initially see a response from Moses. So that lets my weird brain start playing with this. Like, what actually happened? Right? Did, what was Moses' response? Like, was it, was it kind of like a child? You know, like when you take a toy from a child because they're not sharing or something like that, and they just have a come apart where they just on the ground and they're screaming and they're crying. Like, and you're like, what just, what actually just happened? I just took a toy and it's like this demon's trying to come out, right? Was the response like that? Kicking and screaming? Was the response like a middle schooler? What? Do you, any middle school parents get this? Anybody else in here? Is that just my family where we just get, let me, Get this, man, like, was it like that? Was it like the high schooler that's like slamming the door? Man, this is not fair. Nothing's fair to a high schooler. Like, this is not fair. Was it like that? Or was the response like us adults who, after we're confronted, immediately start grabbing our hype crew and are like, can you believe they just did this to me? Like, we start trying to gather our people around us to be our hype people, regardless of how bad, if we were wrong or not. We're trying to get some hype people around us, right? Like, what was the response? We aren't told until we get to Deuteronomy 3, where later on, you do see Deuteronomy 3, where Moses asked the Lord, hey, could you change your mind on this punishment? And, and essentially, God said, no, and don't ask me again. But in that interaction, we see this key characteristic of Moses that would serve us well when we are faced with discipline in our own lives, and that's humility. That's this idea of meekness. How much better off would all of us be if we simply responded to correction with humility? The second time I was fired in my life was during my senior year. I worked at CVS and, and we had been alerted from the police department that they were periodically checking local businesses to make sure that they were doing ID checks happening whenever people were purchasing alcohol. They told us they were coming. This was gonna be a thing. So several weeks later, I'm working one evening. I'm stocking the shelves. I'm not even supposed to be working the register. And I, I'm, I'm just super busy. And this young lady comes. She puts a six-pack of beer up on the counter. And I, I'm looking around. And I'm like, okay, I'll just go, I'm just gonna go ring this thing up real quick. So I walk off the shelf. And I go over. And I look. And I'm like, eh, probably. Scan the card, right? And she leaves. And about two minutes later, here comes the police in the door. And I'm like, yeah, man, come on. Right? And so, um, needless to say, that was my last day on the job at CVS. <laughs> They're not a big fan of that, as they should not be. 
the, the only thing I really remember about that day other than them walking in, and this is just for my people who were born in the 90s or lived in the 90s, like it was being, we were, we were in the back room and they were filling out all this paperwork, my termination paperwork and all that stuff and the power goes out. And so I pulled my beeper out and I like held it over the paper because you know the beepers had a big bright light on them, not really, um, and acted like I was gonna be kind or whatever. That's all I really remember that. But listen, I don't, I don't, I don't really know why I told you that. But I remember, I remember sitting there in that back room and I remember, listen, they were very much right for firing me, right? And I remember just sitting in that back room and looking at the people and just saying, you know what? I messed this one up, completely on me. I knew what the rules were. I was busy, didn't do it, and I'm sorry. And let me tell you something. Humility and discipline looks like saying, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Like, think about this in your marriage. How much different would disagreements look like if both spouses came to the table with this mindset? Like, for students that are in the room, how would it, how would it change things with your teachers if you just responded with a simple, I'm really sorry, and not follow it up with excuses. A lot of times, we're really good at saying, I'm sorry, but then we like doing this. I'm sorry, but. Okay, if you're saying but at the end of I'm sorry, you're not sorry, okay? So like, that's unfortunately though not how a lot of us handle correction. Most of the time when we're corrected, we like to jump to the defense and, and then people become so crippled with shame and embarrassment in that correction of their sin that they become ineffective for the, for the kingdom. Now, thankfully, we don't see that occur with Moses. He kept on serving faithfully for years all the way to the end, leading people toward a land that he knew he would never get to experience himself. Listen, the greater good of the group was more important than his personal feelings. And notice what part of the reward, reward was. In verse five, identifies Moses as a servant of the Lord. Did you know that there were only four people in the whole Bible identified as a servant of the Lord? Abraham, Moses, David, and Joshua. Don't miss God did not identify Moses by his sin. God identified Moses as a servant of the Lord. Much like God didn't identify David by his sin, he said, David was a man after my own heart. And friends, the same truth is your reality this morning too. You are not identified by your sin. You are identified as the righteousness of Christ because of what he did on the cross. That's your identity. Now, before we move on to the last point, I wanna show you one more thing in verse seven that gives us just this beautiful example of God's grace when God brings Moses up the mountain to get a glimpse of the goodness to come. Look at this in verse seven. It says, Moses was 120 years old when he died and his eyes were undimmed and his vigor unabated. In other words, at the age of 120 years old, and I know Bible times, like people live longer. Let me tell you something, 120 years, 120 years. 120 years old, Moses, by all indications, was in good health. 
his, he could see clearly and he could physically walk. And listen, both of those things, good health and terrific eyesight, those were things that were definitely needed for him to walk up a literal mountain to receive the promise that God had given him. See, Moses had been obedient and faithful for a long time, and it must have been a profound gift to have his hopes and convictions confirmed by what he did see. And listen to me, if you are here this morning and you are feeling like you are too far gone, this should give you great encouragement in the redemption that the Lord offers. So your past does not have to dictate your future. There's a final lesson that we can learn from Moses, and this is this. This world is not our promised land. You see, this final chapter of the life of Moses, it did not catch Moses by surprise. You see, God foretold Moses about his death in detail at the end of Deuteronomy chapter 32. God tells Moses what's gonna happen. And then God told him to climb Mount Nebo, and before he died, he would get to see the land. So Moses takes that information at the end of chapter 32 of like knowing this is coming, and he gets to go back to the Israelites before his death, and he gets to say one final thing to them. After we have read through, we have studied this book for almost six months now. How this whole journey comes bound to Moses saying one final thing to the Israelites. And that one final blessing is what the entirety of chapter 33 includes. But I want to read just the last part of that for you in, in chapter. And this is coming out of the New Living Translation because I just love how this reads. But these are the last words Moses says to the Israelites. He says, there is no one like the God of Israel. He rides across the heavens to help you. Across the skies in majestic splendor. The eternal God is your refuge and his everlasting arms are under you. He drives out the enemy before you. He cries out, destroy them. So Israel will live in safety. Prosperous Jacob in security. In a land of grain and new wine while the heavens drop down dew. How blessed you are, O Israel. Who else is like you? A people saved By the Lord, he is your protecting shield and your triumphant sword. And your enemies will cringe before you and you will stomp on their backs. Now, if you are someone who writes in your Bible, you should highlight the entirety of verse 29. Because this is important because what Moses in his final words are saying to the people of Israel is he is pointing them directly back to where all of this started in Genesis chapter 15 when God promises his covenant to Abraham and says the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said, do not be afraid for I will protect you and your reward will be great. So verse 29 is a call back. Moses could have chosen anything to be his final words to the Israelites, yet he chose to remind them of God's faithfulness because he knew the end of his life had arrived. His work was to follow God's directions and to be faithful, and he was now challenging Israel to follow his example. His task was no longer possession of the land. His task was to get them there. 
And the end of chapter 34 tells us that Joshua, Joshua would ultimately lead the Israelites into the promised land full of the spirit because Moses laid his hands upon him. Sometimes in life, we plant the seed and someone else gathers the harvest. Sometimes we plant the seed and someone else gathers the harvest. Sometimes in life, someone else plants the seed and we gather the harvest. In a lot of ways, what we're experiencing today as a church is the harvest of many seeds planted years ago in this community. How are you doing in the harvest? You know, in 10 years from now, someone is going to be sitting in this room reaping the harvest of what you are currently sowing. Who is here today because you have sowed into their lives? You see, Moses didn't know what all the future held for the Israelites outside of they were going to enter the promised land. And likewise, that's just about all we know as well. We don't know what tomorrow holds. None of us do. But we do know that there is a promised land waiting on us. So then, as followers of Christ, our command is to be obedient and preparing ourselves, but most importantly, preparing others to enter. You know, I'm reminded of, of when April and I started to feel like God was getting ready to move us from our first church in North Carolina. I was hired as a family pastor, and I was directly responsible for preschool and kids ministry. So basically, birth through sixth grade there, and one of the things that we were tasked with upon uh, being hired was to completely restructure everything in those two ministries. They, they ask us to um, develop policies and procedures. They ask us to restructure the teacher-student ratios, volunteer training, recruitment, all things. They even ask us to get rid, I know this is a shocker, to get rid of all the old expired goldfish and the apple juice that was hidden, hidden in all the closets, right? They ask us to get rid of all those things. And it took us, it really took us about three years to really get things where we felt like it needed to be, and the Lord was so faithful. Like more, more families were coming to the church. We were, we were fully staffed from a volunteer standpoint. Our snacks weren't expired. Like things were going really great. And then we started developing this, this stirring in our hearts that God was wrapping up our time there. And I'll never forget that one day April shows up in my office and in her Bible study that day, she was studying King David and King Solomon. In that study, it was talking about how David was gathering all the supplies for the building of the temple. And, but right before construction started, what happened? He said, wait, you gathered the supplies, but your son Solomon is actually gonna go build the temple. You're not gonna be the one that builds it. That job belonged to someone else. And and the Bible study said this, sometimes our job is to ready the supplies and then pass the baton. Now, the easy thing to do would be like, no, I think that that's just kind of a coincidence that we read those words because, you know, we, we've done all this work and we kind of want to, you know, we want to reap the harvest now. Look at all this work that we've done, but, but that would have been disobedience. And you know what? In God's sovereignty, he moved us from that church 
back to our hometown for a few years where, where all of our family lived. That made no sense to us at the time. They, I didn't think that I, I thought I was doing new kids ministry my entire life and this church called us from our hometown. I was like, no, we want you to do student ministry. I was like, I don't even like teenagers. Why would I do that? <laughs> but God wouldn't leave us alone. And let me tell you something, that was an absolutely pivotal time of our life because soon thereafter, April was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. And what a sweet gift from the Lord that we could walk through one of the hardest seasons of our lives with our family right beside us versus being 10 hours away. And then there was another stirring and God brought us here to a place that very much feels like an earthly land of milk and honey for my family. We, we love Pensacola, but more importantly, we love you guys and this church family. It's changed our lives. And, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart. And while I tell you all that, I tell you that because I want to remind you that we never know what God is up to in the next season of our lives. We never know. Moses did not have all the answers, yet he obeyed. Joshua didn't know what would all transpire, yet he obeyed. And I dare say that most of you know something about the feeling of being in a now and not yet time. Trusting in promises that have not yet been fully realized, but living by faith nonetheless. And if that's you, can I just leave you with some encouragement this morning? Just keep sowing. Just keep sowing. So I close this message out looking at the end of Deuteronomy verse 10 that says, and there was never arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. That's a great way to summarize the life of Moses. A man who fell short, a man who got back up, and a man who kept serving faithfully until the end. You know, it's interesting that still to this day, nobody knows where Moses was buried. But I have to think that if we did know where Moses was buried, his tombstone would read, Moses, the servant of the Lord, who the Lord knew face to face. And I am so thankful for the life of Moses who shows us that actions do indeed have consequences. Our past doesn't determine our future and because of those truths, we should live with the ultimate promised land in view.